0: welcome to health tech hustle we exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today we interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story with your host rodney who founder of 209 digital
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle podcast. My name is Rodney Hoop, and today I'm joined by another special guest, Mr. Ryan Jones of Florence Healthcare. Um, he actually started his career at Boston Consulting Group before becoming the product manager for Microsoft SharePoint. From there, he became president of PubGet. I hope I said that right. RG, uh, you, have- you got it. Okay, nice. <laughs> Where he helped the web's largest sites make information understandable and accessible with document management technology. PubGed had 600 medical centers and six of the 10 largest pharmas as customers. And he saw an opportunity to further serve customers like these. And so he co-founded Florence Healthcare back in 2014 and is now the acting CEO with a passion for leading the company to build intuitive software that accelerates clinical trials. Okay, that sounds cool. So with that being said, Ryan, welcome to the podcast, man.
0: Rodney, I am so happy to be here and be with you. Thanks for having
1: me. Awesome, so yeah, why don't we just jump into, why don't you give people like a brief background, like other than this intro and kind of like what set you down this path? How'd you end up as a, at Florence?
0: Yeah, uh, the, the common thread was document management, which is the, probably the sexiest career path you could hope to pursue. Uh, my life, my wife gives me a lot of crap for it. Um, but in, in getting involved in that area, I got, it really just gave me a platform to look into all these problems that people have when they show up to work every day. Um, and so, you know, at BCG working with our clients there and then at Microsoft, um, if you're building the technology for people to use while they're at work, it becomes an interesting social experiment. You can go listen about what frustrates them every day. And uh, got pretty good at figuring out how to build software to help some of those frustrations. And then ran into a a physician over a breakfast in Boston who wrote a little code to help with his frustration. We started a business called PubGet based on that. And the thing that was unique about that is uh, we got a chance to help researchers that, and we had a good outcome of that business. And then when we started Florence in 2014, as you said, that was part of the criteria. How can we build software, not only to help people during their day, but actually help people whose time is precious, help people that are actively working to, to cure cancer, to build cancer therapies, people that are actively working to prevent COVID. Um, so it's been a fun ride taking something horribly unsexy, document management, and and getting a pretty incredible outcome by, by focusing on that niche.
1: Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned kind of like a couple of the pieces that you kind of brought into kind of helped you, but can you kind of speak to some of the, the members, the players that you're kind of working with to kind of help bring this value to the market? Yeah,
0: there's, there's the folks that that I'm lucky enough to work alongside. And then there's what that market landscape looks like. Um, And it's been, it's been rewarding to get to know clinical trials as a part of the health tech community because it may as well be its own language, its own universe. Um, every, just about every hospital you set foot in will have a team that's doing clinical trials, but they tend to be um, uh, a little more isolated, a little more focused on doing the research. Um, but it's the, the roadmap is, uh, spreads out like this. If you're a company like Pfizer or Novartis or Merck and and you have a therapy that you think can help people and you wanna get it approved safe and effective by the FDA, you're gonna go find physicians at hospitals that have patients that are willing to take that drug in an experiment. Uh, And for any given clinical trial, that might be 300 physicians at 300 different hospitals around the world. And the way it works is they're gonna compensate the hospital for running that trial. And so money goes out to the hospitals and ultimately to the patients to compensate them for participating. And then the data flows backwards in the opposite direction, back to the company and ultimately onto the FDA. Um, and there are so many ways that that process can go wrong. It's so hard to get a drug proven safe and effective. Uh, so that's one set of people I'm lucky to work with is everyone trying to make that process work to, to bring new therapies to market. And then the other set of people is uh, Florence just crossed a hundred employees and uh everyone is so passionate about making a dent in the universe to advance cures and and so from my co-founders andres garcia and mike Casson, all the way through um you know frank smith who we just we just hired uh two days ago uh i'm lucky to be with these humans
1: Dang. that's cool it's like the saying was like if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together you kind of like put together like your Avengers level team, so to say, to kind of help you tackle these challenges. But like one thing like you're dealing with like software and technology and we all know like healthcare industry isn't like the best to adopt new technology. So what sort of like problems or resistance have you faced in your journey of trying to get the value that Florence Healthcare brings like out to the people and get them to understand like how this is valuable to them?
0: It was crazy hard and it's still, it's still pretty dang hard, but the first couple of years was so frustrating, so so challenging, uh, because we have two levels. Like you mentioned, health healthcare in general is resistant to change because these humans, even though people get can, clinicians can get pay, paid really well, it is uh, a thankless job for all of the uh, administrative work they have to do on top of care and for patients. Right. So if you throw something new in front of them. Like they're already running at redline and maxed out, so they can't possibly take a breath and learn some new technology. That's sort of a problem one. But for our discipline in research, there's a bunch of FDA regulations that are on top of that. So you have an audience that's super stressed out, doesn't have time to learn a new technology, and then you have this specter of of regulatory um, gridlock that like, well, no, we're not allowed to have a new technology. Like the FDA says it has to be done this way. And so for us, it made, you know, 2015 through 2017, 2014 through 2017 hard as hell uh, because we had to go through the, the journey that every entrepreneur, every health tech hustler has to go through, which is creating some behavior change. But then on top of that, we had to do the research and get the law- lawyers to to prove out that this was actually a, a compliant thing to do at the same time. So we had a really steep hill to climb. And as you said, that's why we needed to build that Avengers team, folks that were experts in, in how clinical trials run, like our COO, Angela Nelms, who um, you know worked at Medtronic for a decade, then worked at Emory for a decade and knows how that goes in and out so that we could overcome some of those objections. Um, that, and that was, a, that was a surprise to me Rodney just uh it was way harder than I thought it was going to be for the first three years of business
1: dang that must have been fun though
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's more more fun looking back on it
1: and so like you mentioned like there's all these different processes and pieces that need to happen in order for things to run smoothly but like you being like the CEO you kind of have to oversee everything and you kind of like you're like the master chess player pretty much so how do you know like what to prioritize and how do you go about making like those kind of decisions
0: um i think we're lucky in that you know the whole trial process is managed by a bunch of different people a bunch of different entities from the hospital to the physician to the um to the cro which is the contract research organization which might be have have a project management responsibility into it. So luckily I didn't uh, you know n- n- not not only f- not Florence but but me either had didn't have to run that whole thing. So a big part of our success was was just about focus on and focus on the person that was going to use our software. And so I could blot out <clears throat> how Pfizer was going to submit the application to the FDA and have those meetings or the conversation that the physician was going to have with the patient. All I needed to do is make sure that when that physician then turned around to write a document describing what they did, so that could go in the permanent record of the study, that that took five minutes as opposed to 50 minutes before we came along. That's And so if we could just focus on that one experience and prove to that human, that physician or that nurse or that other clinician that, we were making their life better that one time and then the 10 other times they had to do it that week. That's how we thought about it. And now on the, it's an awesome question. Like now on the other side, now that we have a lot of people that are very focused about that, that's, that's a challenging journey for me. Like how do I pull myself out of just like wanting to meet with every one of our 35,000 users? I want to, I want to do that still. And it's uh, old habits die hard.
1: Nice. And so you're trying to figure out how to like scale that because like obviously like that sort of workflow isn't going to be scalable, especially for you, like you got bigger things to work on. So kind of like, like what do you do to kind of build that scalability into
0: your model? Uh, I think that's my biggest, my biggest weakness as a leader is, is, is keeping that scaling in the front of my mind rather than just wanting to focus on the problem, because you, me, we're all curious people. We like to solve problems. And so our first instinct is like, Oh, why not solve that? And you go in there and you, you, you build an Excel sheet or you create a PowerPoint slide or you jump on the phone with somebody, (laughs) but you can't do that if you're trying to make a big impact in the world. Instead, you gotta, you have to empower the, the, the team that's working with you. Um, so, I guess to answer your question, I do it poorly. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, and the thing that I think made us successful at this point is actually my enemy now. Like, I want to go figure out that puzzle, but you got to let, you know, Blake or Andrea or Mark or whoever, you know, part of that Avengers team that you've put together, that's their puzzle. That's not your puzzle. And that might uh-huh. be the the thing that's, um, that's, we think about you know, health tech hustle today and where my head's at. It's about making that change of direction in the journey. How do you, how do you be an effective leader to think that way?
1: Nice. You really, you really do just become like the chess player. Like rather than being a piece in the game, you're actually moving the pieces around. Yeah, but I
0: hate that. I hate that. I don't like that. It's uh <laughs> and it's not a control thing. I, you know, there might be some of that in there, but it's like, I want to be, um, in the trench fighting i don't uh i don't want to be the chess master like you put it because i think the work that our team is doing is is some of the most important in the world and and i want to be there with them so it's it's hard to hard to frame it in the right way thanks for being my my uh, psychologist during these 60 minutes
1: (laughs) no it's crazy because that's like how i'd be thinking too because it's like you know that you should be focusing on higher level things, but it's like you want to focus on things that like you really like to do, and so there's that, that sweet spot of like what you love to do, what you're good at, and like what people want, you know and so it's like it's like look, it's like a give or take, whatever
0: but we're all, all you no know, matter what our job is we're all we're all trying to find that balance in our lives, so it's you know my, my this challenge is no different than than any 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 that we have
1: Yeah, for sure. And then, so one well, another question I got is when it goes back to like Florence and kind of what you guys are working on. Like, how are you guys going about educating the market and like letting people know the value of what you guys are doing? Like, any any methods that kind of been working for you guys?
0: We're lucky that um, uh, we love on our customers, and as a consequence, they tell the they tell the industry and their colleagues what this thing is. Um, and we've we stumbled upon during that dark time, 2014 to 2017, uh, the fact that no one was paying attention to the physician and her team at the trial site, working in the hospital, trying to cram this clinical trial in between their regular patient schedule. And that by caring for them and making their job easier, that made a big difference to that part of this clinical trial value chain. Uh, and then what started to happen is those teams started telling other players inside the marketplace. Um, and so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, we become the system of record for the Pfizer vaccine study. We've become the system of record for the Janssen J&J study. We've become the system of record for the AstraZeneca study because those big pharma companies had heard that we make life more effective for the people seeing the patients. Uh, So the only marketing strategy that we have is how can we continue to stand out and making a difference in those providers' lives and and we just have faith that the rest of it takes care of itself.
1: Dang, that's pretty crazy. Like you just, all you gotta do is like, start off getting a result for one person and then that one person tells another person like even though like it's not like super fast and you're not getting like a bunch all at once like i feel like those sort of relationships help give you your position in the market which kind of gives you leverage in the long term
0: you you got it right like it's a cool if you're a math nerd uh like me it's a cool illustration of what that is because it's just this slow burn where it's a flat line forever. And it's like, why isn't there results happening? And then all of a sudden you have this army that's vouching for you on your behalf and it has the typical hockey stick growth. And uh, we were lucky to get to that that point.
1: Hockey stick, that's pretty good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, what sort of advice would you have for like other professionals, other founders and entrepreneurs that are tackling problems within the healthcare space? Like what should they be focusing on?
0: Um, the, the thing that was crazy for me in our journey is how specific you have to be, especially if you're early on here. Like, I, I think we want to make a change in this industry, start with health tech, right? And then there's all the disciplines on the pair of provider side across health tech. Okay. So now you've picked provider and you've, ex- now you've excluded 50% of the things you can do. And then you want to pick a specialty. Now you've excluded 90% of the things you want to do. Now that specialty has 200 different problems that are worth going in. And then which way do you want to approach one of those? Now you've excluded 99.9% of things you want to do. You're still only halfway to getting specific enough to build a real business. So I think that was the, that was the uh, advice that, that we got. We went through a program attached to, to Georgia Tech that was all about the psychology about how people – um, give feedback on new products and how you can tell whether they're telling the truth or not. Cause, and this gets into a fascinating discipline. Or it's a psychology discipline around. If you have a brand new product and you put in front of someone, they're going to say, hey, Rodney, you, you did an awesome job. That pro- I, I bet people are going to buy that product. Nice work. That's it. And uh, you should make it red in this part instead of blue. And that's the conversation you have. But the trouble is they're never going to tell you your product sucks. People want to be nice to you. And so anyway, you have to get real specific and figure out ways so that customers can prospects can be honest with you. So you get to the truth about what that little kernel of an idea is. So I guess to wrap that up, wrap that up, if if it was me starting over again, it's try and get specific faster and make sure you ask questions in a way where, you know, you're getting real data and people aren't being overly nice. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a Southeastern problem here, here in Atlanta. But uh, I think you get people being overly nice if they're if they're in your network anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense, and that's just interesting how you kind of just described pretty much like the whole niche, niching down sort of process and kind of how you go through that and how it's like happens in processes and like you can accelerate through that by getting feedback, and I think that's important, especially when you're creating a problem or or a product or service that's really trying to serve a market and you want to make sure that what you're building is actually serving them and getting feedback is super valuable so like how are you guys going about getting feedback from people and how are you guys like making decisions based off of that feedback
0: i like the way you summarize that let me see if i get that straight like first of all it's almost like a you, know, you think about like an, like an alcoholic drink, like how, how much proof there is or just how much intensity there is, right? Like 40, 80 proof, 40% liquor. Um, your effectiveness in that stage that you're talking about depends on whether you have the concentration and then the volume, right? You know, the chemical is effective if it's concentrated and you have a lot of it. And that was the approach that we took to getting to the truth to come up with the offering we had. We had to be focused enough to only talk to the person that would be affected by our product in the most maximum way. So that took a while. Who is that person for our case? It's called a clinical research coordinator. This is a nurse that's at a hospital that's seeing the patients and handing out the experimental medication. Took us forever to find that person trying to figure out what they care about. So we got that concentration ultimately. And then it's volume, the dose, right? Then the second thing is how you, how much of that, and we, we had uh, over 300 meetings, most of them on the phone, some of them in person with clinical research coordinators over a six month period until we could see a pattern. And, that, and so we're not, we're not the smartest guys in the room. Like the, the four of us at that time, it was all about, could we get enough concentration over enough incidences to see the pattern? And we didn't see it until the 290th call. <laughs>
1: Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> so that's crazy because like I'll be reading books and watching videos on like other like CEOs and like entrepreneurs and stuff. And they all talk about like you don't have to be like super smart with numbers or like a genius. You just have to be able to like have that pattern recognition and identify patterns and stuff like that so it's crazy that you just said that
0: because huh. uh yeah uh, and I, I i didn't read any book about that it was just like every day <laughs> we got up to work and i would get up a little bit earlier so we could fit a couple more calls in and it's just the way it worked out for us so uh i'm glad i'm glad you're you're coming across the same thing
1: yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're coming up towards the end of the interview and we've Great. been talking about a lot of high level things. And I like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise or something I call the rapid fire round. So Hello. I'm just going to ask you a set of questions. You can give me whatever answer you come up with. Right. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite book of all time?
0: It's a short story by George Saunders called Congratulations, by the way. It's a commencement address he gave and it's his theory for what life is about. And I, I'll let the, it, the readers can read it in about an hour and I'll let them go find it. But it's what I think life is all about.
1: OK, Two. who is the most influential person in your life or
0: career? I'll cheat and say, too, I, I think my dad was uh, uh, the most influential because he's a no bullshit sort of guy and, and, and like morally straight, no cutting corners. And that was if you're going to run a business, I've learned that that's the only way you can do it to be direct. Uh, and then I've never met him, but my wife's grandfather built a huge community, not only in business, but also in the town that he grew up in. And uh, if I can, if I can leave the earth making a whole bunch of people's lives better that's the, that's the score I want to achieve. Like he did.
1: Uh, Okay. Damn. That's pretty cool. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year?
0: Uh, Help more research teams than any other technology company in the history of the world.
1: Okay. And last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self?
0: Uh, get to the point and be direct. I spent a lot of time trying to come up with the perfect answer and stuff and like massaging the messaging, all the marketing stuff that you hire a good PR company to do. Uh, but in your personal dealings, just if you got bad news, just say your bad news.
1: Mm, okay. I like that. It's a cool piece of cool piece of advice. Perfect way to kind of wrap up this episode. Uh, but Brian, just want to, Thank you again for jumping on, just kind of sharing your story, sharing what you've been working on. It's been fun kind of just picking your brain, learning how your mind thinks. Uh, but before you go, like where could people learn more about you? Where can they connect with you?
0: Well, I, um, it would uh, first and foremost, people should explore participating in clinical trials. You can go to clinicaltrials.gov. And Florence Healthcare is the leader in providing infrastructure to make new cures come to market. And you can visit us at FlorenceHC.com.
1: Thank you. I'll be sure to include those links in the resources. Um, But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.